filled with teaching, truths and issues that matter. Bernie Diamond's A Different Perspective, part of Night Vision each weeknight. Details at vision.org.au. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. With the growing challenge of COVID-19, the coronavirus, we can't help but be prompted to consider the Bible's teachings about things that happen in the last days. A lot of Christians are looking closely into the Bible teaching about end times. Now, these are unique times with the rapid changes that are overtaking the whole world. Prophetic events are foretold in the Bible and people are talking about the coronavirus and whether it's part of what we should be looking for by way of prophesied pestilence. Well, Dr. Baruch Corman, the senior lecturer at Zira Avraham Institute based in Israel, who also teaches Bible on Israeli television in Hebrew language and teaches similar Bible study programs in English on numerous television networks across North America, Canada, Central America and South America, also Europe, Africa, Asia and here in Australia. Baruch Corman is joining us. Baruch, welcome along to 2020. Thank you very much, Neil. It's very joyful for me to be part of your show. Baruch, let's talk about pestilence for a few moments. We're in the midst of a pandemic, COVID-19, the coronavirus. How should believers focus on the idea that there is pestilence today and is that connected with end times? Well, first of all, I think we need to ask, what are the signs that we have clearly entered into the last days? And and Messiah himself talked about birth pains. And in those birth pains, pestilence, and it's in the plural, in the original language, so not only one plague, but a series of plagues. And there's other things that must accompany the birth pains, as far as wars and, and serious wars, earthquakes, numerous earthquakes of a very strong magnitude, and also famines, all of these things coming together to bring about great instability. When I look at this current uh, uh, disease, virus that's going around, I think it lays the foundation that's going to move us closer to, to the end times, but I do not believe, based upon the absence of other requirements, that that the coronavirus is a last-day plague. So a difference between labor pains and birth pains. And I wonder whether uh, you can put some detail in here, because uh, labor pains might be the start of things that we might read in the Bible as saying end-time events, but you're saying those are not the same as birth pains. Well, my my wife's been pregnant uh, several times, and around the the sixth or seventh month, she started having what what they call false labor. Now, the only reason that she had false labor is because she was, in fact, pregnant. And it was a clear indication that things were moving forward and forward rapidly. So I have no problem, especially when we see the the response of of governments. Uh, as you know, I live in Israel, and Israel is all in financially on this coronavirus, helping out workers and families and businesses. And my question is, what happens when something gets much worse? And biblically, we know prophetically things are. 
right now, before you called, I was watching the Israeli news, and the the experts at the Ministry of the Treasury said, if we don't make a quick change to the economy and let businesses function, the Israeli economy is going to collapse in a matter of a few short weeks. So what happens when things get much worse? I don't believe the resources, if this takes place next year or two years, and there's other factors, the, the situation's going to be drastically worse. So we are seeing a foundation being laid for coming times that are going to be much more devastating for, for economies, society, and people in general. Where will we look in the Bible? And for listeners who will be very familiar with end times teachings, they'll know that they can go to places like Matthew 24. But are there particular passages that you like to refer to that point to the idea of these labor pains, these birth pains? Where would you look? Well, I would go to Daniel chapter 8. I think that 8th chapter of Daniel is one of the most significant uh, passages in the Scripture for getting a right perspective on the last days. And Daniel has a vision of a beast. Biblically speaking, a beast is an empire. And so there's going to be an empire out of the east, and Daniel's very specific. He tells us that it's Parasumidai, which is, is Hebrew for Iran. Iran is going to lead a coalition in the last days. Now, this is not the coalition or the empire of the Antichrist, but this Iranian-laid coalition, an Iranian confederacy of other nations, they are going to bring great instability into this world. And what we see later on in that same eighth chapter of the book of Daniel is a European, it's called Yavan. Yavan in modern Hebrew is Greece, but in ancient Hebrew it's a synonym for what we would call Europe. So we see another empire rising up, and that empire out of Europe called Yavan is indeed the, the empire of the Antichrist that will rule over the world. Another important uh, time that we should look for is Israel, now that we're back in the land, and Israel is very prosperous in many ways. That's a sign we're commanded to watch the fig tree. So when I look at Iran, and Iran is growing in their influence, they have strong military aspirations. They're influencing in Lebanon and Syria and many other countries around the Middle East. So I see that as very prophetic, letting us know that we're moving, that we're converging on the end times. But Iran just lays the foundation for what's going to happen in the time that you refer to as the the birth pains. A lot of Christian believers who've been following these sorts of prophetic end time end time prophecies for many years will have seen different will have seen the pendulum swinging backwards and forwards, and the idea of a European antichrist, and then of more recent times, people have been talking about an Islamic antichrist. Uh, you're saying here, and uh, and knowing your background here as Jewish and as a Bible scholar in these areas, uh, when we talk about the idea that there may be different perspectives here. Uh, do you like to make sense of that, or do you like to bring correction? How do you come to a, a point of view where you say, yes, it's not a, a point of view that says the 
Antichrist will definitely come from a European context. Well, I, I think it's very sensationalism and even a, a gimmick to, to say that the Antichrist is going to be Islamic. I think that the Iranian empire that's going to rise up among many other nations with it will be Islamic. But I do not see that the, the religion and the emphasis of the Antichrist is Islamic. When we look biblically and prophetically, Satan understands a lot and he understands that Israel is foundational. Messiah taught at the end of Matthew 23, until the Jewish people say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Messiah's second coming for the purpose of establishing his kingdom, isn't going to happen. And when we look, the Antichrist is going to want to woo Israel away from God and embracing him. The Antichrist is going to do many seemingly good things for Israel in the, the last days, even in Daniel's 70th week, to try to court Israel away from any type of faithfulness to the one true God. And I don't, don't see any basis for an Islamic Antichrist. Many people uh, point out that, that Israel, and one of the reasons why Israel is sealed, according to Revelation chapter 7, is that they're going to be here in the midst of God's wrath being poured out. The sealing is for God's wrath. And Israel is going to go through a great time of persecution because they did not receive the Antichrist. And when we look at many other prophecies, I don't see how a legitimate case can be made for the Antichrist being Islamic. I think that the Antichrist, when we look at Revelation 13, the Antichrist is going to initially be, be rapidly moving idolatry, do whatever you think is right, rather than a, a staunch commitment to Sharia law and the tenets of Islam. So when we think of coronavirus, a global pandemic, and put that in the category of labor pains, and then we're talking the maneuvering of nations and the nation of Iran, as you're saying, the things that are happening around Iran may be similar as labor pains. Uh, can you put those two and two together and say that affirms that there are labor pains that are taking us towards what would become the birth pains? Well, when I look at Israel's prosperity, when I look at Iran's growth and military aspirations and the economic, I think the fallout of the coronavirus is going to be much more economically because of the massive closures of economies and such than from a health standpoint. I believe that it's really the mismanagement of, of governments in the midst of this, this pandemic in doing all the, you know, we want to be safe and, and take precautions, but the extreme precautions that government has, has taken is going to bring about great uh, fiscal instability throughout the world. And that's going to, in my opinion, propel the world closer to this time of, of greater instability. And that's the key when we look at the birth pains that Messiah talked about against nation rising against nation, ethnic group against ethnic group, uh, famines and, and pestilence and such. All of these things bring about great instability, and certainly the coronavirus is, is laying the foundation for greater fiscal instability. 
You mentioned Israel, and we're talking to you today from Israel. You are in Israel. You teach the Bible in Israel. Without Israel, none of these things would have any context. But do we get context for our understanding of things that are unfolding in the world? And we have an assumption then that we looked into the Bible and we can see that there are end times events ahead of us. None of that would be possible, would it, without Israel as a nation? You are seriously today as you're talking to us, talking from a place which is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Yes, indeed. I think one of the the clearest indications that we are moving towards the end times rapidly is the fact that there is a nation of Israel and the fact that Jewish people are returning returning to the land, and we see a, a settling in, in places and cities that didn't exist for 2,000 years. And now they're, they're popping up. They're named by their Old Testament names. And we're seeing what uh, could not have been 80 years ago, 100 years ago, now being in place. And all of these things say that we're moving rapidly, we're converging at the times that, that we should expect these last day events to begin to happen. So I see that there's much preparation being made quickly to be moving into the, the last days, but we're, we're not quite there in the fullest sense of the birth pains. Baruch, of course, if we're talking about end times, and even at the beginning, the labor pains before the birth pains, that won't be a pleasant time for people. What ought people in, say, the Western world expect as these times begin to progress? Greater, and I, and I keep going back to it, instability, which means that we need to have our our stability based upon our relationship with Messiah Yeshua, that is Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be uh, tossed to and fro because of these things happening. Um, you know, we hear all the time about a global economy, and people, I know myself, we do a lot of traveling from, from one country to another. It shouldn't be all that shocking that we're having these these uh, pandemics such as this. Um, people look, governments were expecting this. What is surprising is the, the government responses and just closing down everything. In Israel, for example, synagogues cannot meet. Uh, you cannot gather more than two people. Uh, we just finished up the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and for 48 hours, um, everything was closed. You transportation, public transportation, none. These these strong uh, uh, measures in the and I think the best intent to try to save life and and curtail the spread of the disease, but um, unprecedented in the past. And I think it's laying a foundation for some some coming things where governments can use this. And I'm not accusing anyone of doing this now, but it can be used in the future to curtail. Uh, human rights, civil rights, rights of, of of freedom to worship. And we're living in some very, very uh, unusual times, and we're going to see what, what comes from this. But, Rook, a lot of people listening to our conversation today, uh, sometimes very comfortable and sometimes uncomfortable, how they might raise these sorts of issues with people who are not believers 
who don't know much about the Bible and uh, even scornful towards uh, those who might be believing what the Bible says, how do you break into a conversation, do you think? Do you start with the Bible or do you start with the global events? How do you embrace a conversation about end times with people? I, I find that the best way to to share things of a of a biblical spiritual origin is just directly. Um, I have done this where been talking to people uh, here recently in Israel, and I'm saying, you know, I was just reading in the prophet uh, Ezekiel. I was reading in this place in the Bible, and I encountered this. What do you think about it? And I found people here, at least in Israel very interested in what the Bible says concerning what they're going through. Unfortunately, a lot of of fear. We're not supposed to fear the things of the world, but we're supposed to have fear, and that means giving God an ultimate priority over every aspect of our life. And it's only when we fear God are we going to be given by him a right perspective for looking at things. So it's when we put God first, we're in, enlightened by the revelation of his word. We share that, that we can help others have a, a proper perspective in what's going on and how we should act and behave and think in the midst of this. So this is not a time for panic. This is a time for, for a godly testimony and showing assurance and that our hope is not based upon the things of this world, but a promise of a kingdom and Messiah said, I believe in Luke chapter 21, verse 28, when, when you see these things beginning, and they're talking there about the birth pains that we've mentioned so much, when you see these things beginning, lift up your heads. And this is a term of encouragement. Be encouraged because you know your redemption draws near. So we should be excited. These things are not things that panic us, fear us, but they are things that, that let us know what God promised is, is drawing closer, and that should indeed strengthen us and encourage us and give us a desire to share biblical truth with those who, who are in darkness. Uh, Baruch, when we talk about where we're at on a time scale here, nobody can set dates here, but for those who are wondering how can you even be talking about end times, is it relevant for us to be able to identify these events and say this is what the Bible is teaching? We need to be prophetically literate, and one of the criticisms I have in, in general for the church today is if you look at many of the most popular churches, mega congregations and such, they really don't do a good job speaking about prophecy. They may take verses now and then from Isaiah and such and, and, and teach a verse, but to give people a really good overview and understanding of what Joel says, of, of, what, of what we find in the book of Obadiah, a key prophecy for, for the nations, and what we should expect as we move closer and closer to the end times. I believe that so many people that sit in the pew and, and people who love God and are faithful to churches and are very, very sincere, I think that they are oftentimes confused about uh, the issue that we're speaking about, the end times. Sometimes we feel a little personally ignorant and we wonder that whether my own thoughts 
uh, will match up with the sorts of thoughts that we might have when we're talking to an expert Bible teacher. But when we talk about things that happen in end times, uh, there are those things that happen around us, and whether it's pestilence, uh, whether it's the manoeuvring of nations, as we were talking about, uh, oftentimes we'll talk about the apocalyptic times, like an unveiling of things that we we didn't notice before, but all of a sudden they become clear. Is that a way you can talk about prophetic insight and and for people who perhaps have not had a lot of interest in this before? The more you study prophecy, the more you read what, what Yeshua, Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the more that you understand the book of Revelation, the better prepared. And one of the things I'll say about the book of Revelation is that it was addressed to those who are servants. So if someone's not interested in serving God, being faithful to him, honoring the Lord Jesus, then that person's going to be in darkness. It's only when we say, I have a commitment to put into action the things that the Word of God and what the Lord will teach me, when I'm committed to putting into action, obeying biblical truth, you're going to find the Holy Spirit gives an individual much more understanding. But if we're not committed to obey, then then that lack of commitment is going to bring about a lack of revelation, illumination from the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be in darkness. But, Rook, let's talk more things that might happen in a time sequence uh, rather than timelines. The idea of tribulation, and sometimes we'll read from the Scriptures, three and a half years or seven years, and we have these big events that so many Christian believers look towards, the second coming of Christ, and a great catching away that we sometimes refer to as the rapture. Where do these things fit into the end-time events? We, we can be very specific and realize that, that those two events, and I want to emphasize just that, are two distinct and separate events what you refer to as the rapture, what uh, Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, he calls it a blessed hope, and then we have the second coming. Many times people talk about Daniel's 70th week. We won't go into a great deal about that, but the last seven years, a biblical week is seven years, not seven days. And we know that for us to enter into that period of the last seven years, we, we know that a temple must be standing and functioning in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount in the same place that the first and second temple uh, uh, occurred where it was. So that's very impor- important. The other thing I would say is this. We have a promise that, that believers are not going to be here when God's wrath begins. So prior to God's wrath, and when we look at that famous piece of scripture from Matthew 24, and when we begin reading in verse 36, he talks about the days of Noah. And obviously the flood is a typology for God's, God's wrath. So he's not going to bring a flood, but he will bring judgment. He's not going to destroy the earth with water, but he is going to bring great destruction upon the earth. And we see that in the trumpet and bowl judgments of the book of Revelation. But here again, we see in this section, beginning in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44, that it promises that believers are going to be removed from the earth prior to the wrath of God being poured out. 
And something I would would say to to the listeners, especially those who are lovers of Bible prophecy, there is not one verse of Scripture that says that we won't have tribulation. In fact, a Scripture I'll give your listeners is Acts chapter 14, verse 22, that says that it's necessary to enter into the kingdom of God through much tribulation. So we'll be persecuted. And persecution, here's another great sign that we're moving towards the last days, persecution of the Christian faith is soaring throughout the world. That's prophetic. So we're not promised that we won't go through difficult persecutions, but we are promised that not any believer is going to be a recipient of God's wrath. We will be removed. Someone asked me, can't God keep us here during his wrath and shelter us? That's true, but when we look at what the Scripture says concerning the rapture, there's a removal. That word, arpazo in the Greek, is a removal, taking away, and then we also have that we're going to get a new body at that time. So when we look at all the indications, it is a removal, a removal from this world and meeting the Lord in the air and going into the heaven. And that would be why it's called the blessed hope, because the expectation that believers will face persecution in that time, in the lead up to that rapture that we read about in the scriptures. One thing here that's always an interesting and important point, the idea of what to expect with a rapture and in the lead up to that for Christian believers, what that does for our motivations. Do we take shelter from the persecution or are we called to, in fact, supercharge the work that we have as believers, supercharge the work that we do as the church? What are your thoughts here? Strongly the latter. We're not supposed to retreat uh, this idea of, uh, that's becoming popular of prepping and, and people. It's, it's wrong to have as your goal survival, that I want to live. No, we're supposed to be individuals that, that present our lives as a living sacrifice. So when, when, when the world, and it's come, good to come to this, and it is already in many places throughout the world, where the Christian faith is in many places outlawed especially in Middle East and in Asia, and growing in Africa where it's being persecuted. We're supposed to be salt and light. So we're not supposed to retreat when persecutions, and here again, we're not talking about God's wrath, but, but being persecuted for our faith, we're supposed to be visible, we're supposed to be active, we're supposed to confront evil by doing good. And that means to have a testimony. And, and as darkness is coming, we're supposed to be that light, and so uh, not retreating at all, but, but confronting these times with, with great confidence that the Lord, he is with us, and he is our hope, not the things of this world. So when we talk about the events that are happening today, COVID-19, the pandemic, we mentioned uh, the issue of the rise of persecution we said the maneuverings of nations, and particularly as we looked at the nation of Iran and the expectation of the arising of an antichrist out of Europe. Other things that might go along with that, Baruch, things like rising anti-Semitism, does that also strike a chord uh, with Scripture? There is indeed prophecy in regard to, to rising anti-Semitism. I think we need to see it in, in two veins. First of all, it's increasing now. It's going to get worse. Uh, the, the Antichrist, he is going to eventually be the greatest persecutor 
worse than Hitler. When we look, for example, of Daniel chapter 12 and, and verse 1, we are told that the worst time since there was a nation of Israel, the worst time for the Jewish people is going to be at the very end. Likewise, we know that in Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7, it says that there's going to be a time of trouble for Jacob. Jacob's trouble, in fact, uh, Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, uh, here a few days ago, uh, had a meeting with one of the leading rabbis, and the rabbis, in light of the coronavirus, quoted that, that verse, which means a time of trouble for, for Yaakov, for, for the Jewish people, but out of it we will be saved. And, and I think the rabbi made a, a terrible mistake because he's trying to say that, that now is this terrible time for Israel, and, and it's not. Things are going to get much, much, much worse. But I will say this, persecution of the church is going to precede this time, the worst time of persecution for Israel. So the church needs to not just be looking saying, yes, Israel's going to be persecuted, there's rising anti-Semitism, there is, but before it reaches its peak, there's going to be a great, a horrible time of persecution for believers. It's not good news. Uh, the good news is in the way our response is to God uh, through the gospel message. So when we see these things happening, coronavirus, uh, Iran and maneuverings uh, towards Europe where the emergence of an antichrist may come, the persecution of Christian believers, the ongoing and escalating persecution of the people of Israel. But in a land which is, if we look at the biblical reference as a fig tree, is there by God's prophetic fulfillment. These things we could talk about as a convergence of all sorts of issues that are mentioned in the Bible towards the last days. This word convergence, is that a, a way that you can get a grip on where you might be in the context of how the end times are unfolding? Yeah, I actually heard from uh, a, f a great friend of ours, uh, Christian Barrio Nuevo, who, who used that same phrase, a convergence. And I think that is the best way to, to really identify and understand what's happening now. Things are converging and leading up to setting the foundation for what we have talked about, what Messiah mentioned in Matthew 24, verses uh, 6 through 9, and then going all the way to verse 14, where we find the term end is used. And I believe that in verse 14, the end that he's speaking about is the end of the church age, when it says, first, the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations, as a testimony to them, and then the end will come. And the next verse is the abomination of desolation, which I think is a key event in, in, in just laying kind of a benchmark for, for where one is and how one needs to understand the last days. But, but we need not fear. Our hope is not in surviving bodily. That's why we have the blessed hope promise of a new body, a glorified body, so we shouldn't be fearful of the things of this world. We should be encouraged to know that the Word of God is true. These things, he said, be ready for it. And something that I think that's so important is that over and over, when, when Messiah spoke about the, the last days, or when, when Peter, or when Paul spoke, or Jude, 
what we see is that there is a, an admonition to watch. So watch these things. And the only way that we can watch it with insight is if we know the biblical testimony concerning what we should expect in this time period. And you're right, we are converging on the last days. But Rook, some listening to our conversation today will say, I'm a strong believer and I know what God has called me to. I've responded to this good news message. I'm a believer on Jesus Christ. Others are saying they'd put themselves in more of a half-hearted category, not really serious about their faith. And then there'll be those who are non-believers and would even put down the idea that such a thing as an end times convergence of events could lead to the second coming of Christ. For different people at different places on a spectrum there, uh, how important is it for those and what will it do to them and for them to have a deeper appreciation of these things of God uh, to do around Bible prophecy? Well, I think this is a a strong message from, from the heavens that we need to be serious. Uh, I was talking to a, a very good friend in the Chicago area, and his pastor has, has asked him to, in Chicago, you can meet up to 10 people in one place. So he's all in favor of following the protocol of social distancing and wearing a mask and all that, but he said, still, we can get 10 people or up to 10 people together in a room for Bible study, for prayer, for encouragement and such. And he's saying it's impossible to get even a few people to meet and have people host things in their home. There's such a fear. And I think that's a real indictment against that we're supposed to be people of confidence and trusting the Lord. So I think that there's a weakness in the church, and this needs to be a wake-up call to get serious, to trust God, to be people of prayer, and not to forsake the assembly. I'm not talking about hundreds of people gathering in one spot, but we can have small home meetings of five, six, seven, eight people getting together and praying for one another. Those who, who just deny this, I think God is going to do something. In fact, I know he is because the word of God is clear on this. If people miss out on that blessed hope, when God's wrath begins to pour out, and when we look at the book of Revelation, there are events coming that cannot be explained scientifically through the acts of man. We're not talking about some nuclear war or something that man can produce. We're talking about events that the only explanation is that it's God. And people need to wake up and realize there is a God Things are happening, and the more that people will take time to read the Scripture, the more they will see that that what's going on is indeed laying the foundation for things converging upon an end. We're moving towards that rapidly, and the Word of God speaks volumes on that fact. But, Rook, just quickly, the idea of being prepared, and we might think of the Christian as someone who believes the message of the good news of the gospel. Uh, That belief, how does that translate and how does that transform a life into someone who can say, I am assured of salvation before God? How do you see the status of the inward life and the outward manifestation of the life of a believer? What is it that makes the true believer uh, who won't be overlooked on that day when the blessed hope, the rapture comes, and ahead of the tribulation that will be gripping the world. What is it for you, Baruch, that makes 
the true believer ready for whatever comes? First of all, we need to acknowledge sin. Nothing begins that's going to change a person's life, that is going to work good in their life, that's going to bring a God-pleasing change until we recognize sin, sin in our life, sin in the world, sin brings disease and death and such. So God is, is proclaiming to the world that sin has some very, very awful consequences. So once we acknowledge our own sin and trust in what God did by sending his only begotten son into the world to die upon that cross to shed his blood, blood's necessary for redemption. Redemption is a word of relationship. So once we enter into that redemptive relationship through Jesus Christ with our Heavenly Father, we can see things differently, we can have a confidence, and that we're going to be people that, that utilize. One of the things that, that we should realize is that this is a great opportunity to show faith, not to demonstrate fear, but to demonstrate faith and assurance and confidence, not to be worried about saving our life, but the one who tries to save his life will lose his life. So we need to be investing in others, being personal. I'll give you an example. One of the things that that people should be doing is calling people up, asking how they're doing, how they can pray for them. If they want to, to meet, you know, one, two, three people together, meet. What are their needs? Sharing with them, conveying the love of Christ to others. This is a great opportunity to do that. So let's utilize what's going on as opportunities for ministry, opportunities to bear witness, to have a testimony that's pleasing to God and is changing the lives of others. They might be very willing to listen and respond because of the panic that the world's happening, but we don't panic. We have confidence. Well, Dr. Baruch Corman, Senior Lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel and on television stations all over the world. And for listeners today to access more teaching from Dr. Baruch Corman, go to loveisrael.org. That's loveisrael.org. Baruch, just great getting your insights once again today, and uh, thank you for your clarity. Thank you for the way you are so orderly in the way that you think. And appreciate you very much and look forward to our next conversation. But thank you so much for being with us once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. And I look forward to when we're together again. I enjoyed our last visit in studio and I look forward to when that's a possibility again. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.